Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. When Herod knew the Magi had fooled him, he grew very angry. He sent soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger, according to the time that he had learned from the Magi. This fulfilled the words spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and much grieving, Rachel weeping for her children, and she did not want to be comforted, because they were no more. After King Herod died, an angel from the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said, and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus ruled over Judea in place of his father Herod, Joseph was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he went to the area of Galilee. He settled in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. The Gospel of the Lord. Author of life, we thank you for your word and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Last week, I made the comparison between Joseph, the father of Jesus, and Joseph, the son of Jacob. Both were men of dreams. This week, the comparison becomes more clear as Joseph is visited once again by an angel of the Lord. This time, the message is one of warning. Joseph must take his wife and their child and flee into the land of Egypt. This Joseph will be traveling into Egypt under his own power. However, like his ancient predecessor, he does so with the threat of murder haunting his homeland. And it's worth pausing for a second to appreciate the gravity of this situation. In the scriptures, Egypt flips back and forth between a land of refuge and a land of oppression. Given the politics of the time, It makes sense that different periods in history necessitate Israel having a different view of Egypt. Other empires come and go, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. They all have their day of supremacy. But Egypt is the superpower that endures. Egypt weathers each new regime that pops up around them. So it's important for us to understand how big of a deal it is 
for Egypt to be the land of safety. Not because this superpower was particularly charitable, but because the devil you know is sometimes better than the devil you don't. The present circumstances might dictate Joseph's flight into Egypt, but Egypt remains the archetypal land of oppression. Egypt and the generational memory of Judea is the land of slavery. It is a land of genocide. It is Joseph's only hope for his family. So when we read, Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt, let's be sure that we grasp the desperation and the struggle of those words. The Holy Family were refugees who fled through the desert under the cover of night for the hope of a better life. To stay where they were would have meant that Joseph and Mary would have had to have watched their young child be killed by a power-hungry king. And let's spare a thought for those families who weren't visited by an angel of the Lord, those families who were left behind in Judea, those families who watched their children cut down by government soldiers. Imagine what it must have been like to be Mary and Joseph, spending night after night scrambling through the wilderness. Imagine leaving behind your friends and your family. Imagine leaving behind everything you had in the world. Imagine that you're trying to care for a two-year-old child who keeps asking why you had to leave in the middle of the night who keeps asking why you're so scared, who keeps asking if they'll, if they'll ever see their aunts and uncles and cousins again. Now, imagine walking the distance from Detroit to Kalamazoo, looking over your shoulder every step of the way, hoping not to see a soldier chasing you down. Maybe we can start to imagine what it was like for the Holy Family in those days of terror. Now imagine that you don't know what's gonna happen when you get to where you're going. You don't know if they'll take you into captivity. You don't know if they'll send you right back to the people who want to kill you. You don't know if you'll be able to stay together with your family. Maybe they'll take Joseph and sell him into slavery. Maybe Mary will be sold into prostitution. Maybe their child will be taken from them and they will never see him again. But you know that this is the only chance you have. And so you keep trusting that message from God. You keep pressing on in the darkness. And what did they find when they arrived in the land of slavery? They found welcome. They found a place where they could live in safety, where they could raise their child. Instead of slavery, they found hospitality. And what of their own people? What of God's tribe of Judah? A hunger for worldly power, a willingness to murder children to keep that power. It must have felt like the world had turned upside down 
The stories of Joseph's people recalled the times when it was the Egyptians who slaughtered the young boys. Yet for his son, Egypt meant life. It was his own people who had gone mad. All the stories they told about being God's chosen people, all their belief in their own righteousness, and yet they had become the very thing that their stories warned them about. They were so blinded by their stories that they never saw what was happening around them. They never saw how small their world had become, how selfish, how greedy. So for a time, the Holy Family lived in Egypt. They waited for things to get better back home, and when word came that King Herod had died, they packed up their lives yet again. They made the long trek back, ready to rebuild their lives. But on the way home, they hear that Herod's son is still ruling over Judea. The fear and the terror must have leapt back into their hearts, and they realized they couldn't take their son back home. So they settled just outside the reach of Herod Archelaus in the city of Nazareth. The first time that I, who was raised in the church, remember hearing this story preached from the pulpit was six years ago when I was 24 years old. And even then, it was only used as a funeral sermon for my grandfather who had passed away on Christmas morning. And I get why we don't want to hear about this part of the Christmas story. It's a bummer. We're right in the middle of the Christmas season. It's so much nicer to focus on the scenes of the nativity, of Mary and Joseph huddled over their newborn child, of angels filling the skies with songs of joy and peace, of shepherds out in their fields, of wealthy wise men bringing gifts. But this story is central to the story of Jesus. If we skip over it, we risk watering down the gospel. We risk diminishing the imagery of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. For as difficult as this story is, it defines our God-made flesh. So let's start by talking about how this story relates to the law and the prophets. Most evident is Matthew's use of prophetic texts to make sense of the story. The words of Hosea are taken to proclaim, I have called my son out of Egypt. The words of Jeremiah used to express the grieving of the families of Bethlehem that he would be called a Nazarene, might be a reference to Isaiah, but that prophetic reference is less clear than the others. What is clear is that Matthew is going to great lengths to make the reader aware that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophetic hopes of Israel and Judah. In a similar vein, we should be aware that Jesus is being portrayed as a second Moses. Like Moses, he survives a purge of young boys. He eventually is liberated from the land of Egypt to return to the land of Judea. Moses was the lawgiver. So if Jesus is the new Moses, we can understand his authority to interpret the law. Thus, when Matthew gets to the Sermon on the Mount, we will hear Jesus declare a number of times, You have heard it said, but I say to you, 
As the fulfillment of the law, Jesus gets the final say on interpretation. And this refugee story infuses the entire course of Jesus' ministry. The final public teaching moment in Matthew's gospel is about the judgment of the nations. The final words before the passion story are of the goats being separated from the lambs. In this ministry-defining teaching, Jesus declares, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Jesus informs those who are listening that when they failed to do these things for the least of us, they failed to do them to him. But Jesus was literally a stranger who experienced welcome in Egypt. He experienced hunger and thirst. His family likely arrived with nothing but the clothes on their backs. We should value these words for the way that they instruct us to care for one another. But we also must remember that these words come from the life that Jesus lived. So as we look for the good news in this story, let us notice the kindness that remains unwritten. Let us notice the hospitality that the Holy Family received from strangers welcoming them to a new land. Let us notice the people who helped them find food when they were hungry, clothes when they were naked, water when they were thirsty, this kindness, this generosity, this love is the heart of the Christmas message. That even in the midst of the brokenness of the world, each and every one of us has the opportunity to show God's love to our neighbors. And when we do so, we show that love to Christ himself. Amen. Please pray with me. God of the outcasts, fill our hearts with generosity. Help us to welcome the stranger, to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to visit the imprisoned. Help us to see you in every one of your children so that others will know us by our love. Amen.